This week on the show, we have Tim Schleiger, the director of the Sport Clinic Melbourne and founder of Vic Active. During Tim's career, he has consulted to the likes of John Aloisi, Harry Kuehl, Vince Grella, Luke Darcy, Josh Battle, James Pattinson, and Peter Siddle. Before we start episode 53, a quick shout out to P. Carlton, who wrote an amazing review about our podcast. He wrote, Prepare Like a Pro is a top pod. Always look forward to the next Monday release. Very eye-opening as to how much dedication is required mentally and physically, both in-season and pre-season in the AFL. Many takeaways from an educational perspective. I really appreciate the kind words, Carlton, and I want to give back to you. So please direct messages, mate, and we'll hook you up with some awesome prizes. The Prepare Like a Pro podcast mission is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge from some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following and leaving a review about your favourite podcast. Take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram to enter our podcast giveaway. Here's a quick background on Tim. Tim has also seen success in a wide range of Olympic snow sports and a range of summer Olympic athletes. He has always been known for his ability to think outside the square and find synergy in multiple disciplinary approach. This episode is packed with huge gems. Whether you're a fan of sport, an athlete or a coach, make sure to tune in. Let's go. Thanks for coming on, Tim. We'll, uh, we'll dive right into the beginning, mate. Take us. When did you discover you had a passion for strength and conditioning, the fitness industry? I was, I was blessed. I, I played soccer as a young bloke um, and I, you know, sort of worked my way through juniors and even though I was a, uh, you know, a, a kid that was, um, you know, had, had a crack and, and tried to do my best with, with what I was doing, before I know it, I was playing, you know, top-level soccer and in the NSL system and nearly got there but was always riddled with groin problems and in those days osteitis pubis was known as a hernia a sportsman hernia or an adductor injury or whatever else so by the age of 22 i was i was done so uh, i retired from soccer um and, and and felt really good about the decision because it launched me into the career of of um of football and and conditioning athletes and so forth. So in those days, Deakin University had, um, and I think we talked about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, whereby, you know, in the old days, in the 80s, you know, if there was a, a, a high-performance coach, in those days they were known as fitness advisors at a, at a football club. Mm-hmm. They were David Parkin as a, as a lecturer. We had... Um, we had Peter Shockman, who was the Carlton fitness, fitness advisor at the time. We also had uh, Killer, John Kilpatrick, who was the Hawthorne high-performance coach that Dermy and all those, uh, all those Hawthorne blokes of yesteryear would know super well. And that was, that was really how you got your, you know, your, your, your link in. There was, no, there was no, you know, Cowan Institute, Cowan University, Masters, or in those days, it was just like, you either really loved working with athletes, you either were an athlete. Um, mm. And so, yes, it, for me, post-football, it was, it was one of those ones that it was like, well, post-soccer, if you, if you want to use the right terminology, I, I fell in love and it saved my life. Yeah, okay, interesting. So why did you go into the conditioning side opposed to like the tactical sort of technical side of uh, coaching football? 
Well, for for me, it, it, it was no, it was, it was a conditioning role where it was like for me, I was always I was always the fittest player. Like if you know, and even you know, I I was lucky enough to play with some you know some great soccer players you know of of the era, and I'm rapt to see one of my old teammates, Ange Postacoglu, you know, potentially take on Celtic um, as a coaching role. That's been rumored this week, but you know there were some really good people, and you, you know, you, you committed to your task and all those sort of things. And there were there weren't all the support systems in those days. So for me, I, as much as I was passionate about, um, you know, my football, I always felt a bit empty when I was playing. Mm. And so when I got injured, um, and I, I still remember it was a key moment for me that. Uh, I've spoken with him post the, the, the surgeon at the time, Adrian Polglaze, who, um, who operated on Matty Francis, myself, Stewie Edwards and Stuart Lowe. And it was in those days was what was now we know as OP and how we go about it. It was the sportsman's hernia. Mm. So I, I, had, I had surgery um, and I remember him saying, he said, oh, mate, your posterior wall is like tissue paper. And... Any conditioning coach out there today is going to go, well, you know what, I'm not going to cop that because that's, that's not a diagnosis. And is that going to define me as a footballer or a soccer player? I'm sorry. And so thank goodness I was doing university at the same time as playing. Um, and so for me, it was a, a really easy decision for me to go from footballer to a 22-year-old man that said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to completely dive in to um, – my path, and I'm committed to challenge every lecturer, challenge every person that I come across to find a better way to look after athletes. And uh, here we are. That was that was 1995, and so yeah. here we are, 26 years later. And uh, I, I reckon I've learned a thing or two. And I remember you saying in our earlier chat, like you said a couple of weeks ago, there was um, that injury kept popping up um, for you, and the the protocol to follow just wasn't working and you sort of had to find your own way around that. So well, there was no, it sounds like that, that was the, was of the old days was, it was, just it was like, I still remember having an operation and then do a thousand sit-ups. And so can you yeah. imagine with type surgery and pre those days of just saying, yeah, well, no worries. Like let's, let's go and engage a axial compression activity with loaded flexion and bear down on the the, the inguinal wall further, and mm. but that was that was it. And so, thank goodness, um, you know that that guys like you have have bought podcasts and everything else to hear stories about how and why the athletes have such a better journey now. And 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 thank goodness, are so looked after. Yeah, so that, that support. I mean, it's so hard to your full potential and, and have a long career, successful career without. A team of support around you, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. And w- when you started doing that degree and learning, and you know, how did you get um, a support network around your own development from from the coaching point of view when you started that journey? Um, well, I think I think it's interesting for me because I was I ended up being a bit allergic to the round ball game. So for a long time, I was like, you know, as much as I'd invested my life in becoming a, a an NSL soccer player and I'd come through the, the soccer ranks with, you know, the state teams with Kevin Musket and all these guys. And as much as it was, it was, it, look, it was, it was fantastic. But 
for me, I had to, once I got injured, I really need to, it was, it was nearly like a knee-jerk reaction where I had to move away um, just to find who I was. And it, it, it's, it's a funny question that, you know, you ask where I, I, I ask of my, a lot of my rehabilitation athletes still today about like, you know, like you've got to find a way to define yourself differently. So me as a footballer or well, soccer player, had to then find a way to redefine themselves. And I remember as a 22-year-old, that was a huge task. Um, but, you know, when you get older and, you know, you, you see it's not that big a task, but at the same time, unless you create the right people around, um, if you like the right pillows or cushions around people when they work out that their story doesn't work out or, or does, um, you've got to help them find their path. So. For me, once I'd worked that out, I'd done my university, I'd launched into, um, in the 90s, quite controversial stuff. I'd always been, always been into martial arts and boxing and kickboxing and um, meditation and traditional Chinese medicine. I studied a couple of years of diagnosis, which, you know, I remember being called a hippie and all sorts of things in those days. But it's funny when you press... Um, Mark Cheer has got a great story when Brett Brown was the coach of the North Melbourne Giants and we were talking about bringing in a stretch class for recovery in 1996. And can you imagine we were like badgered, who were we? You know, and then it's, but it's beautiful to look at it today where it's like, like yoga's normal, all that sort of stuff. But, oh, my goodness, were we given a hard time in the day for going, listen, you guys are really tight. You can't sit cross-legged. Um, you know, let's just try and release your piriformis, get some massage involved. You can't activate a muscle before you've released certain muscle. Are we releasing the muscle? Are we activating the muscle? Are we waking the muscle up? But how about just relaxing and, you know, just working into this kind of state of just recovery? Mm, and from a mental point of view as well. Well, Brett Brown is now was coach of Philadelphia all that sort of stuff, and at the time was going, what are you idiots doing? And, mm. you know, after coaching a club and, you know, all that sort of stuff, those guys now just laugh as older guys and sort of say, hey, man, that was great. Like, you know, how good's recovery? Yeah. <laughs> and where did, where did that um, – were you speaking to other coaches that were doing stretching? Like, where did you that stir on to, to change the norm? And none. That was part of – you know, your journey in those days where at least for you guys, look, it's, it's, it's a good thing, but it's also not a good thing is there's a path to follow. But in those days, there was no path to follow. So mm. if you took on a role and I, I saw you had Baba on last a couple of days ago, who's a good friend of mine, and, you know, we, we talk about the coach's importance to care um, and just the, the real importance around you know, like if your athlete's tight, how do you individualise a program? Is, is the athlete tight? So can you put in place a certain protocol for him? Um, or can you look at the other athlete that's unstable and how do you stabilise the athlete? And one of my favourite um, sayings I use all the time and I remember using it with Chris Judd when he came over from West Coast to Carlton and we talked a bit about, um, I saw him once and paired him off with, some colleagues and I remember it was all about you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. So mm. if you're not stable, you're not strong. And if you're not strong and you're not stable, you can't change direction. 
And unfortunately for a lot of guys, they can't focus on those things. And so before you know it, there's an injury because they try and skip steps. And for the, for the developing footballers listening that, that are thinking, geez, I want to prevent myself from these uh, groin injuries, what are some of the important or takeaway messages that they should start doing? Well, I think, I think thank goodness for the young athletes of today that there are, there's some really good stuff out there and the likelihood of, of them being overprescribed is probably the biggest issue. So, you know, I, I think... Um, I think the big thing is for the athlete is if you peel it back and go, every athlete has an individual story, Jack. So it's like, you know, so what, what's brought you to this stage? So, so Jack, how, would, how, like, how do you feel about you've been doing this and you've talked to all these amazing people? Like what are, what are some of the, are there three, two or three things that you've learned? Like from all of, like when you were a young conditioning coach, to now, spoken to all these amazing people on this platform, which you're doing a, a ripping job. Um, is there is there one or two things for you that really stand out? Yeah, there's there's a few. There's um, people talk about the importance of focusing on your strengths, not just getting um, bogged down on your weaknesses, which I guess can be a common trend in in Australian culture to focus on the things you're not good at. But ultimately, it's you you know you've got to top up your weaknesses, especially if they're not allowing you to get into the team or, or play the position as best as possible. But um, a lot of the best athletes work out. It's your strength that's, that has the most potential and, and it's probably what's going to get you your furthest. So focus on those as well. That's definitely been a trait. Um, people always talk about the simple things and doing them really, really well, consistently well over time. So that consistency and, and doing the simple things really, really well. And... I'd say that the human side, that's probably been the third one that a lot of the guests will talk about, finding that connection, dealing with the person first before the athlete, like you talk about having identity outside of your, um, your sport or whatever your purpose is, having something outside of that, whether it be a hobby, um, you know, and, and being a well-rounded human. That'd be the three top yep. of mind that, that I usually reference one of those three. And it's, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because so what podcast is this for you now? Is it number... 53. There you go. And so the irony is I can't pass on much more wisdom than exactly what you just said, uh, but I will and I can, mm. I can clarify. But can you imagine you get the young athlete and every, every conditioning coach, every physio, every S&C wants to feel like they have, you know, um, got to a point where they're going, you know what, I am the guy. I'm the guy that's made that person and you know as the Dalai Lama always says you know the biggest illusion in life is that mm. there's this concept of independence and so there is no independence like there's no athlete that's got to where it is on top and that's you know that's part of the the, the humor I have with social media around um you know there is no person that's you know made a person like made an athlete made whatever like Hopefully along the way, you have the perspective to be able to go, I'm going to offer this person some really good wisdom. So what you said to me uh, at the start of this podcast, if I w walked away from this interview and followed the three things you just gave me and I truly committed to them over the next 12 months, I'm half a chance at best, but probably if I really committed to it, I'm 95% chance being 
a better athlete and a better person. Mm. And so, but unfortunately, it clouded with a lot of fluff and cotton wool. Mm. And the mm. cotton wool is that people, I made it or I did that or I did that. And in reality, it's an illusion. So as a conditioning coach, physio, as a high-performance coach, our real role is to look after these human beings that come into our life. Um, and the same way I look at the young lad that I was, and I was lucky that I had a couple of good mentors that said, mate, soccer's not for you. That's not your path. But you're passionate about injury management. And then 25 years later, I've been lucky to travel the world, work with elite soccer players, AFL players, cricketers, and have a difference with our life. And I tell you, what's funny as you get older is you get to share the development of a player and then you get to share the retirement of a player. And then what really gives you perspective on it, as the S&Cs would say, let's have a look at your training loads and where it's all at. I tell you what's interesting is when you get to train. So I'm into my third generation of athletes now. So mm-hmm. I, I get to say, well, I started that kid when he was 12. He retired. He's had a kid. He got drafted, I retired that kid, and then I get to go, my goodness, you know, now I'm f- feeling old. But you get more humble about the process, about just going, well, you know, I haven't made that kid, but I hope he's always got a sounding board to come back to around, you know, do I just need to chat to Tim? Do I need a rehab program from Tim? Do I need to discuss my career or do I need a you know, referral for a surgeon or whatever else. It, it's, it's a very interesting take on the conditioning landscape when you, you get to take an aerial view of, of, of the athlete journey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and you're making a real impact there, aren't you? Like you're so involved in, you know, um, not just their sport but also their life as well outside of the sport. Well, I, I don't see the two as separate because... You know, people talk about, you know, and, and you see this at the moment in, in elite sport where you've got to have time off with depression. But when you're depressed, you're tired. Mm. So if you're tired, you can't play. And people love to sort of go, there's this. And, and the sooner we start looking at whole people and we look at the holistic component of the athlete, the sooner you'll start, I reckon, getting much better results when it comes to, you know, conditioning footballers. And like when you're working with a new athlete and I guess whether, whether you call it buy-in or getting that connection with the athlete, do you have like a set questionnaires that you go through or is it more something that you knocked off the cuff with but you just sort of have a chat with that person and, and see where it goes? Like how formal is the first, the first few sessions with an athlete opposed to informal? Yeah, I think, I think as you said, you use that word buy-in. It's like, you know, they've got to be prepared to... And, and the thing is, um, you know, the thing about sport, and I know there's, there's other people who have used this rhetoric and dialogue, is, is sports story. Like, the thing about sport, all it is are stories. And so, you know, I, um, I caught up with a couple of, you know, old school AFL blokes from the 70s and 80s for treatment this week post their hip replacements. And that's an interesting part to life too, Jack, where you, you play with people and, and you'll get to that point. I know you've got the, 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 the beautiful young bub at home and all that sort of stuff, but you, you'll get to that point too where you go, wow, like the blokes that I played with um, when I was a young bloke who mentored me and tried to teach me the ropes of how to play AFL or how to play soccer. Um, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, 
you're, you know, you're rehabbing the hip replacements. Now that's challenging because you go, yeah, like we're getting, you know, and so um, buying is critical. Like the buying concept is where people will, like if the athlete's in, they're in. And if the athlete's not in, then it's also good to say to them, like, well, you know, this, this part of your path is, is not on. And I, and I see, again, I talk of this with the, the social media component where there are people that are going, oh, I want this bloke because he's going to give me 10,000 likes or whatever else. But if you come back to the fundamental role of the coach is if the kids, the fit's not right, you've got to be prepared to say, you know, look, it, it's like I'm probably not going to get the best out of you. Um, but I hopefully, and this is what was taught to me by some of my mentors, was, but I do know this guy and he's probably right for you and hopefully you can find a way to help this coach get the best out of the athlete. But you've got to get yeah. the buy-in because yeah. connection, you know, what it is and I believe in your philosophy um, and hopefully, as I say, I want to see every athlete outlive and outstarve my philosophy. I want to see them go, I spent three years with Schlags and that didn't quite, he really helped me get the right path, like find my true north compass mm. and all that sort of stuff. But if it, if, if it came back to, you know, was I trying to give him loads or um, a, a program or a, a gym program or, or a Pilates program or a stability program that there wasn't buy-in, you've got to be prepared also to say, listen, like, mate, this is not going to work out and we've got to find the best outcome for you to ensure you can, you know, take your game to the next level. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So the, the, the whole, I mean, it sounds simple, but the whole focus is all about bettering that person that's in front of you the whole time. And if, you've, if, if, if it's not congruent at that moment, they might come back. Like, have you had, have you had clients that have helped come back after that referral? Or have, have I got or is that- stories? Because in, the, in the old school, we also don't suffer fools so i've told people if they've been you know not prepared to buy in or if i've been annoyed and anyone that knows me well is you know tim can get a bit annoyed and angry sometimes but <laughs> if if i feel there are moments in their like pivotal moments in their career um at the time where they have a moment to go from you know australia to european football to then go to the next level or an AFL guy that, you know, chooses the wrong program because they go, well, um, you know, we, we've chosen to buy into this program if it's the wrong one and I knew it. But, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm also becoming not softer but just more prepared to go, that's their path. And yeah, yeah. in the old days, their cage, and I still, I still rattle cages if I think it's, it's going to be worthwhile to fix a situation but at the same time, the athlete also needs to have the relevant buy-in to go, well, because at the end of the day, as I talk about with uh, John Aloisi, you know, and it's one of my favourite sporting stories is, you know, those that think back to that famous night, you know, where the penalties, the Uruguay, you know, there was one bloke that said, I want to take the fifth penalty. Everyone's going, oh, I don't want to take a penalty. This is too stressful. Like, you know, we're going to qualify for a World Cup. And there was one bloke that said, I'm going to take the penalty, the fifth one that qualifies us for a World Cup. And where's the disbelief there? Yeah. To put that into an AFL 
perspective. Like, where is, uh, I'm lining up for gold, and I'm going to miss from here. Like, there's history, there's all that stuff. First World Cup since 1974, I'm taking the penalty. Knew knew which corner he's going to put it in. And so there, there are people with that firm belief that go, whatever you say to me, they'll have their, their, their mentors and their people that will guide them and they'll create a team around them, which I yeah. think that was something when I listened to your podcast the other day that Baba talks about really well is, is the team around the athlete. Mm. And that's a great example. And so, again, there's so many young junior footballers coming through the, the hoops that are going, oh, well, yeah, I've got to dance through the hoop for him because he's the conditioning coach or I've got to dance through the hoops for, for that person. But the reality is, unless you get to a point where you go, I'm taking the fifth penalty, I'm the man, how's your career look like? So at some point yeah. you've got to go, you've got to learn your craft quick because what are the, well, I haven't checked for a while, but what are the latest stats, Jack, on, um, you know, a young footballer coming to the AFL system and playing a handful of games and then being like, what is it, two seasons, three seasons? What is it? What is it these days? Uh, I'm not 100% sure of the statistics, but I think, yeah, three seasons, three to four seasons is probably your average. At best. And so how many mm. kids are following, which is my point? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the more cotton wool and fluff that gets created and the more reality that they can create in their life where they have real people, they have real continuity, stability and all that sort of stuff with their careers, they're the ones be able to go on and, you know, go on and kick on. And, and, and then on top of that, the stability of the conditioning coach or the physio or whatever else, you know, you think as well as like, I remember um, John Agassi, uh, one of the best sports, you know, uh, books that's ever been written by an athlete. And he talked about, you know, what he did with being able to go from his self-destructive past and the trauma. And I remember there was a, there was a study a long time ago in tennis which talked about if you had a, 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 like an overbearing parent that you probably had an 80% likelihood of being an elite athlete or a top tennis player, but also you had a 90% chance of being depressed later in life. Yeah, right. So most conditioning coaches or anyone working in rehab or physio is the chances of you having a slightly damaged kid coming to your system who's probably going to be a champion is probably, I would put it after 25 years of doing what I do, is probably 100%. But you can teach them fundamental lessons and, and there, are, there are great coaches, whether it's, you know, premiership coaches or great soccer coaches like an Ange Postacoglu or, you know, or, um, you know, you yeah, Alex Ferguson's, and I call them leaders. It's their job to lead the people and, and lead these guys and teach them life lessons and go to war and play football and become better people. And then I often call the conditioning coaches, and not to, and not to belittle, you know, the conditioning coach, the guy that's done a master's in physio and master's in S&C because I've got, you know, a bunch that have come through my system um, you know, in, in my business over the years that are still working in AFL clubs now. Um, but, you know, your job, the reality, you're dealing with that, that damage scenario. And so you're managing injuries, you're managing conditioning, but also you're trying to teach them life lessons as well because the quicker they can mature and find their path, the better off and their likelihood is of, of reaching their, 
you know, the best that they can be and the best versions of themselves as footballers. Yeah. And, and where do you start with that? Is that, like a lot of that work done one-on-one, you know, for a coffee or like off the pitch or do you do a bit of it in rest periods, like within the session? Like how do you find a good... Well, I think um, that's a very S&C approach, which, you know, where you have, okay, and, you know, like if, like let's call it, like let's call footballer B at the moment who's in trouble. He's done something wrong in his life. Like how do we as conditioning coaches, uh, say to the athlete, that's okay, mate. Um, I had you for a rest period this week. I was going to downplay your loads because the computer says we need to drop your loads off, etc. But could you possibly have had your meltdown psychologically next week because that was in line with the program? <laughs> like at the end of the day, we're not training robots. We're training human beings. And so that's, that's part of my big path with all coaches of all conditioning coaches, all physios is there needs to be an understanding that you've got a bunch of individuals. And, you know, if, if there's ever been a challenge for a business, whether it's the NRL, the AFL, the A-League right now is understanding, oh, Jesus, like how the hell are we trying to manage these guys? And you know better than, you know, than, than most. Like at the moment, you know, there are clubs that are currently moved into a temporary, it's not a hub, it's, it's we've just got to get out of Victoria at the moment. But there are also support staff that are there for the boys and there for the girls and there for the athlete. Um, but they've also got commitments at home and they're in a soft cap and they're not earning money and all that sort of stuff. So. I'd also take my hat off and, and say kudos to those people that are prepared to commit to the athlete. So there's a human story, you know what I mean? Mm. And so we can't, can't, we're not training robots. And I think, I think a lot of S&Cs, if I, had one, if I had one thing I'd like to preach to every s and I've worked with who's done their masters and all that sort of stuff, and I've had heaps, is just to understand you're not, you're not training a robot and there's not one program that you can go you know that's the one that's best for full forwards that's yeah. the best one for center half unless you get to understand people unless you get to understand the athlete it's very difficult to you know to ultimately get the best out of them and so that's the irony when you get into a football club and you're an snc or a or a, or a high performance coach and you've gone well i've got this amount of uh, information, and I've got 42 guys to look after, and so I need to, you know, to to create a program that's it's the best. Um, and I use this analogy a lot. I call it the Austrian ski team analogy. Mm. And so, yeah, lots of mountains. I worked a lot in um, winter sport, and so Austria is in the benefit of the reality is the top 10 guys who ski in Austria will probably end up making probably a podium at the Winter Olympics. So they have 200 of the best athletes they have who ski and they take them to the top of the biggest mountain and they say, whoever gets to the bottom first goes to the Olympics. So the reality is there's going to be broken legs, trauma, a death, whatever else. And if you speak to Europeans, they're, they're much more harsh than, you know, Aussies. Oh, is that okay? Yeah, he died. Yeah, he died. 
you know, he died. He did not make it to the bottom. But this guy was good. He was the best skier. He goes to the Olympics. Like, it's, it's, it's a different culture. Like, he couldn't imagine doing yeah. that at North Melbourne or Collingwood or, or Hawthorne. And, yeah. But the reality is that guy Olympics. And if they lose a couple along the way because their talent pool is so invested into what they do, well, mm. of course they're going to do well. You know what I mean? So, so we can't do that with, mm. with AFL because our talent pool is not so rich. We can't do that with, with any of our athletes, whether they're 400-metre runners, you speak to, you've had John Quinney on, you've had yeah. Baba, like you've had some people that have worked in a lot of international sports as well. And mm. we don't have the, the talent. Like, you know, we're, we're flat out, you know, producing anything these days. And, I, I, like, as a young bloke, I still remember the proudest moment for me working in sport. I did the wrestling team at the Sydney Olympics uh, in 2000, and I still love the fact that we won the Cricket World Cup. We had the record haul in the 2000 Olympics. We won the Rugby Union in 99. Um, yeah. And then by 2006... We made the round of 16 at the World Cup with this elite group of soccer players and nothing ever since. Like, you know, there's no Kathy Freeman stories anymore. They're all stories. And so the thing for you guys that I think about as well is you, you've, you've missed out on so much glory of just sharing some of these elite stories because they're not there. And, and that's part of why I think what you're doing with your podcast is brilliant too because we need to find a way to be better and try and find, was there the fourth guy in the Austrian ski story who maybe didn't quite get there but maybe needed a cuddle, he came from a shit upbringing, or maybe there was another guy that, you know, just needed, needed you know, the benefit of a chat one day going, listen, I'm not going to talk to you about your squat technique today because although I've done my S&C Masters and I'm not fighting to remain relevant with this stuff, I'm prepared to chat to you tonight to go, listen, I reckon as much as I could prescribe this program, you're a, you know, you're a bit of a Tom Hawkins body type. And the moment you look at a weight, you're going to put on mass. And so I reckon I'm going to make a call where I don't need to buy into your journey, but can we possibly do um, you know, some boxing stories or can we do some circuits or something else and rehash the 1980s? You know, and, and go, well, look, do you need to do a circuit? 45 seconds of station, you know, pump out. Because you can't afford to get any heavier because you can't move. You can't run. Um, and so it's a little bit about, like, I, I think Australian sports at a situation where we need to look after the Austrian ski analogy from skier 5 to 12. And if we can get that bit right, we're right back in it. Yeah, get that competition. And, and the, the, the mentors that you mentioned along the way, like, did you, did you sort of reach out and contact those mentors? Did they, were they people that you were working with and you had direct contact with them? Like, how did you go about, you know, creating your own support network team yeah, as so, you progressed? Uh, yeah, so for me, I, I was lucky. Like, after my, my soccer career had, had sort of, you know, you know, I was injured and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I, I took six months to, you know, lick my wounds and work out what I was going to do and I was studying. And so I was lucky, as I mentioned earlier, there was, you know, there were, there were great guys. Like there was David Park and um, there was Peter Shockman, who was the Carlton Fitness Advisor at the time. There was a guy called uh, Jeff Hosford, who was a biomechanist, which is actually an interesting story. Um, so... For you, 
I won't take too long with this, but there's a great story. There were these guys, and they were, they were the elite biomechanists at the time in the country. And so I still remember, um, you know, Jeff Harmer and, and, and Jeff Hosford. They were the guys that, for instance, came up with the unique concept on how you stumped a batsman. And so where your leg was and your um, action reaction of where your leg went to then take the bales off was something that had never been done before. So they were quite, they were quite smart. And then, actually, not quite smart, they were really smart, great eyes. They would look at someone and just go, you know, hey, mate, his, his hip's no good. Um, he can't do this. That's his static posture. That's his dynamic posture. He's, you know, got an issue there. His neck's no good. I've got a mate that's, a, you know, a chiro or a physio or whatever else. They were so good at what they did. Um, mm. And I still remember... Um, this great story where once the universities got into and, and what they had to do was in those days, it was like, you know, a bit like what I think Baba said the other day as well. In those days, you were teachers or you were coaches. You know, you were taught to teach yeah. and coach. Um, and so that's kind of been lost a little bit. And so these guys, unless you bought a PhD and some income with funding to the university, they all got, um, they all got dismissed after like a 30-year service, which, you know, Sad, but, you know, one door closes, the next door opens. And there was a great scenario where these guys were, um, there was a case whereby there was a homicide, what we now know as um, not law and order SVU, but, you know, the other one whereby, you know, they used to have the, the lines and the, the radars and all that stuff. So because they were biomechanists, they ended up getting called in as the expert witnesses to de- define whether or not this, in this homicide case, that it was possible that this bullet could have travelled through the wall and killed this particular person. And um, they got the person off. And so from then on, they ended up making more and and had this entire, in their mid-40s, this entire career uh, invigoration, if you like, where they went from guys that were, you know, one minute trying to help Rod Marsh or Jeff Healy find a way to stump cricketers to all yeah. of a sudden they're getting homicide, you know, defendants off because they're the best biomechanists going around. And I think they're still doing it today. So, yes, I, I, was, super lucky. I was super lucky with having those guys that were just down-to-earth, really smart bloke, call a spade a spade, and, you know, you, that's, what you, you, that's how you learn to coach. And... Um, and then the other part was, you know, because I'd always been into my martial arts and my, you know, the other side to it and my meditation and all that stuff back in the day. I was lucky I had a really amazing human being that crossed my path when I was in my early 20s who was uh, a bloke who sadly is not with us anymore but was a, a Chinese doctor. He played NHL ice hockey. Um, it was the toughest bloke I ever met, would have dropped any AFL bloke on the floor and looked after a million AFL footballers with his acupuncture way before dry needling was even invented. Um, but his approach, again, he taught me. I used to, I still remember, I used to uh, go to university, I'd do some training, and then I'd spend, you know, as much time uh, that I could with, his, with him at the clinic, his clinic. And so I would spend a million times. So, you know, we used to say so Shane Crawford to be down there in the day and, um, you know, Anthony Condon, Hayper Hawks players. I had a lot of Richmond players. 
uh, Michael Gale, Benny's brother. Um, there was a heap of them back there that we used to feed in even in the 90s. And it was the beginning kind of also of what we talked about before going, the club can give me this, but if I'm an athlete and I need to work out what I can, I need to do as an athlete mm. to, um, you know, be the best I can be, I've also got to be prepared to tell a few people to fuck off along the way as well and just go, look, you're buying into me because you want this and this, but you've got to be prepared to go, well, I'm here because I, you know, I know what works for me. Yeah. Yeah, so, so create your own. I mean, that was something that um, Barbara mentioned. He reckons the, the future of the industry is going down that American model where you sort of do create your own team in the off-season like the American athletes do and have your own guys that you, um, that you trust and, and have bought into to uh, develop you. I mean, that was something you mentioned you did with the, the soccer players, yeah, in the, in the off-season reconditioning well, in well, so Dubai. It's a very different world because um, – so I've worked, you know, I've worked heaps with, um, you know, Paul Connors, had, uh, Pickers in here today, um, you know, I looked after Craig Kelly and, you know, TLA and ESP and, you know, my business has been – basically been going as long as those guys have. So, like, well, I've worked in line with bringing a lot of AFL boys through the system from, you know, um, and I know there's, again, there's a lot of guys that would go, well, here's my Facebook like, I've worked with this guy and whatever else. But, you know, for me, um, we, we try and do the best about an authentic, you know, real buy-in with the kids. And if they buy in, you see them through. But, you, you know, I, I've always said, whether it's in, sport or in business, you know, you want to try and get a long-term relationship. And, you know, Craig Kelly and I used to call it the one-of-us club, you know, where you go, if I flick you a referral, it's probably because he's a really good bloke and, you know, he's got a certain set of values. And so, therefore, when you said to me before, like, what's your buy-in on the screen? Before, by the time I've got someone in the door, like, there's a fair chance that... um, They've been vetted already, if you yeah. like. And then, um, there are some where, you know, with some of the soccer boys in the last five or six years that have, you know, haven't gone on to kick on. They've actually, you know, I've got agents in Europe that have said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have referred them to you, mate, because you wouldn't have gone on. You would have told them they're not prepared to work. They're not prepared to do this. They don't understand what's involved and what's engaged. And mm. therefore, you'll kick ass. And not, not like still in a loving way, but I used to say, mate, I've got to clip you. I can't cuddle you. And you're not going to get anywhere with your work right. Um, because there's a lot of young fellas coming through that go, you've got great potential. And there are kids that have bought the next 10 years of their career off. I've got great potential. But what's potential? You're an SNC coach, Jack. You're a, you know, you're a, you know, you could be anything. You're, you're doing the podcast. You're really making a difference, but you know, you've got potential. I'd like to think we could have this chat in 10 more years and go, geez, I'm so proud of that bloke that he's kicked on. You know what I mean? And so there are many that you've already vetted and said, you know what, it, it's not meant to be because it's, 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 it, it, it's, they're not prepared to buy in and, and, and do what they're meant to do. And it, it's, look, it's, it's, I think that's one of the things like, for instance, with Baba that, you know, or, or, or certain people in your network as well, by the time I present an athlete, Mm. to Baba, like everything's picked up within two seconds. And he goes, this is so easy, but it's what I've done in the gym 
and what I prepared with an ethos and a philosophy, he goes, this is so easy. And then if I ring, yeah. you know, if, if you know, but like a parent of, you know, one of my kids and says, oh, can I see Baba? Oh, yeah, well, I'll, I might send them to, um, you know, Baba's done a lot of work uh, with one of my old teammates, brothers, the trim, like Paul Trimboli's a great NSL player, amazing soccer player. He's been ahead of football at Melbourne Victory for a long time. But Don, uh, he's done a lot of Pilates. You've probably come across him, Jack, where he's been at Hawthorne. He's been at, um, I reckon, the Saints. And he's been, he's worked with Baba really closely to try and learn a lot of that sort of stuff. So he'll often work with a lot of the, um, you know, the juniors and the yeah. setup, like trying to get kids the right technique and the right efficiency. Um, and yeah, it's, it's fascinating to watch, you know, the headspace around the buying around for even for the kids at that age. You know, well, that was a fun activity. But 20 years ago, activity, mate, it was like, this is a really good opportunity to make yourself 5% better than everyone else. But alas, parenting also is around a lot of that stuff, um, which, again, now I'm a parent, I get it. You want to give your kids the best opportunity. But there's also a component where you go, there's elite coaching and there's sub-elite coaching. Do you want to turn up with a mate and be active and get off this stuff and not gain? Have you really bought into being the best you can be? Yeah. And do you think that's that comes down to it, like some the, the drive and what you're talking about and seeing, seeing things through and working hard. If someone's not doing that, is that coming from a place of maybe it's just not for them? They, they haven't found, like in their journey, that they, they, they haven't found their task, whether it be, it might not be being an athlete, but it is being a coach or it might not be being a coach, it's being an accountant or whatever it is. Is it just a matter of finding your, your thing in your journey? And is that the discovery oh, I, of... I'd take the one step further. Is like, as, as soon as you can work that out, it also, like sports saves people. Yeah. So, you know, like what, like did you, you played footy obviously as an 18 to 22-year-old, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Played, like I think I stopped about 21. And what, and what stage did you realise that, you know, you weren't going to be a superstar and the dream was over? Oh, to be fair, I mean, cricket was my dream. Football yeah. uh, was something that I just played with mates. Cricket probably, I think year 12 was the, the uh, or year, yeah, probably 16, 17 was when I realised I need to start focusing on some other things. And, yeah, the dream of being playing for Cricket for Australia had shifted. Yeah. But I'm sure you continually got torn to get back and have a cricket game and play with your mates. And, you know, I, one thing I've, you know, like I, I worked with um, Peter Siddle, super close for... 12, 13 years, Haddo and a lot of the Vic boys, John Hastings. Like probably if, if I had to make a call, I've, I've said this on record numerous times, that probably that Victorian team era were probably the best blokes I've ever dealt with in sport. Like, mm. you know, some of the players I've dealt with were, you know, not prima donnas, but, you know, some were super, even me with my vetting system, some of them are pretty difficult to deal with. Um, mm. Some of them were, you know, you could clip, and these days maybe you clip and they don't even come back because they needed to hear it from someone. And then three yeah. years later, they can go, hey, you were right, mate. Oh, yeah. but, <laughs> you know, but I've got to say, that cricket group, you know, and so Sid's over, I think he took six for over in Essex a couple of weeks ago. Like, I will still be in contact with Sid's probably at least once a month. Um, yeah. 
really super close relationship from managing his stress fractures and he sent me a couple of test jerseys just saying I would never have, you know, did what I did in my career without being able to check in with you and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, is terrific. But also, you know, one of my other, you know, dearest people I've dealt with through sport that, you know, this is where sport's bigger than the sport is someone like a Bobby Quining. And and he's one of my favourite stories where terrific athlete. I remember the first time I ever consulted to Bobby and he, he rang me. Didn't know the bloke from a bar of souls. I think Jimmy Pattinson or one of the boys had said, you've got to go and see him. It was, it was the start of one of the original big bashes and he maybe had a hip problem or a hammy problem or something. But I still remember to this day he rang me, how he not met me and said, oh, I'm seeing you. Like I, I squeezed him at 6 a.m. in the morning. And he rang me and he said, oh, or texted me and said, oh, mate, oh, I'm coming in at 6. Do you want me to pick you up a coffee on the way in? Wow. Having him, right? And just... <laughs> So here, here I am now, like I'm a, you know, I'm a father of three kids and I've got a, I've got a son that's, um, you know, like 12, 13, and his love, having tried a bit of soccer, following his dad's footsteps, played a bit of footy. He's a deep thinker. He's got a nice little outswinger going. Um, and, you know, years later, Bobby will look after him once a fortnight in the nets, coach him with anything. Anything I say is no good. Because what does dad know? Um, yeah. But Bobby said, so, you know, like you also build relationships. And so that's what, what you said before is like, you might work out it's not going to be an elite sport path, and that's okay. Like, we've got to work that out for the athlete and say, hey, mate, like it's not meant to be. And so sometimes there are some hard stories, which is in the old days, it was very easy to have them because you'd say, mate, you're not good enough. Fuck off. Mm. And yeah. that was how it was. You know, and that's just how it was. And so you went away and you got depressed and you licked your wounds and that was before depression existed and all that stuff. But nowadays, you can't do that. And so I still believe there's a really gentle process now and I look at my kids and how I manage them, whereby find something you love. If you buy in and really want to have a crack, I'm happy to show you the path. And if if not, it's cool. Play with your mates. Mm. Like, and that's exactly what you were saying before, like, you realised it wasn't for you um, and, you know, you, you've gone on and but you've still probably got – I'm sure you've, you'd have a couple of beers somewhere down the track and catch up with a couple of mates, you know, who you play cricket with and all that sort of stuff. But you've come to this conditioning path and all of this set of experiences that you've had helps you evolve to where you are now to be a way better S&C coach beyond what the Cowan University or anyone else has ever said because you get to look at that bloke and go, he's no good because if the athlete's in the car park depressed, like let's go back to some of the athletes who recently pulled out of competition in depression with depression or let's even look at, um, I won't use tennis because they're very different cats and very manipulative so we won't use the Osaka analogy but certainly in team sports where you've got these people and, you know, they've they've got to work it out and, and the conditioning coach can go, well, he's really depressed at the moment. So whether I give him four sets of 10 eccentric squats with a, with a, with a, a, you know, a jump onto a bench and, you know, a box jump and then get his quads released, his piriformis released, do some dry, into, dry needling into his thoracic spine, do some uh, meditation and some yoga recovery, put a game ready on him and all that sort of stuff. If he's no good, it's no good. Yeah. And that stuff's not going to do anything. But again... 
because you've had that experience, when you're coming through as a conditioning coach, that also helps you build an understanding and a, and, and a kinship with these young athletes to actually better condition them because it's not just about four sets of 10 squats, how much can you bench, you know, etc. And then that's before you talk about biomechanics, movement patterns, are you fluid, are you stable, are you stiff, do you do yoga, you know, etc. Like it's so in-depth, it's a minefield, but that's the yeah. joy of it. Yeah, that's the fun of it, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much, mate, for jumping on. We'll, um, we've, uh, you know, gone through some, some deep down. topics. And uh, Rowan McNamee. Rowan McNamee joined. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, he's on. So he, uh, he's listening right now. Mate of mine. Uh, so do you know who he is, Jeff? What Paul was that, McNamee? sorry? Paul McNamee? No. Do you know who Paul McNamee? So Paul uh, was um, what a, a, a number of... Uh, Wimbledon doubles titles, oh, right. um, so like super uh, elite tennis player. He was the CEO. He ran um, the the Australian Open for years. Um, he now runs a lot of tournaments in Europe, and his his son Rowan's a ripping lad. Um, and so he was a young man that we've we've treated in the clinic for a long time, um, and he has done super well. He's Again, came through at a soccer club, Malvern City. Um, had a great group of mates. He's he's got to NPL level, like you know that sort of VFL level with his yep. soccer. Uh, coming from an elite sport, you know, background where his father was an elite international tennis player, um, and you know, again, like just found his group of mates, found his crew, and you know, they came through from juniors, played soccer together. They're all still mates. Though I'm sure they would have watched the Champions League final on a Sunday night um, the other night, but they found their their space, you know. Yeah, um, family tribe. And at the father, who's you know, and so we've shared a couple of uh, one in particular, a very frustrating tennis player who uh, was the number one doubles player in the world for a long time, and and Paul's continued to coach her. And I've got to say, any conditioning coaches, if you could have managed her. I did it for a number of years. A guaranteed migraine with every session. <laughs> yeah, right. I've worked with tennis players before, but it sounds challenging. Did I uh, talk about any of those? Because uh, I've seen he's doing a lot of tennis now. He would have had yeah. a couple of stories. No, we didn't. Do, we didn't go into tennis. Um, his Ivanovic story is the best. Really? I'll have to ask him. Yeah. Just, uh, I'll leave you to ask him that story because I've known Mark for a long time and that was that was just a, a classic tennis example. Yeah, okay. Like, watch tennis, everyone knows that, like, you know, there's a coach and there's a player and they all get sacked and rotate because there's only so many coaches, so many players, and they all, they're, they're all, because they're, 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 you know, they're on their own, they're touring, and they're all, they're, they're pretty hard work, they're a bit mental. Um, and so the, the mental health stuff is is quite something. And so, you know, it, it's just very hard. If you're a conditioning coach where you, whereby, like, a, a conditioning coach, a high-performance coach, a physio, an S&C, if you do any of that stuff and you're working in that space, like, yeah. you're trying to hold on to the job at best of time, you're still trying to manage the athlete, not take sides, et cetera, but when you're one-on-one with an athlete and living every day, um, yeah, it's, geez, it's hard. It's it's yeah. a very different, but and they're the 
an interesting situation, I imagine, because it's their call. Right? They can fire anyone. Is that how they're the boss, yeah? Yeah. yeah. I lost today. See you, Jack. Yeah. See you, mate. <laughs> Your fault. I had, <laughs> I'd moved, you know, I'd moved to Europe or whatever, like, ta-da, you know, yeah. all that stuff, which is what happened to Mark. So um, I'll leave him to see that story with Anna Ivanovic. But, like, just, yeah, it's a very different beast. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, we'll leave that one for another time. That could be a whole other topic by the sounds of it, maybe off air. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, mate, yeah, look, uh, so do you work with any physios or...? At, at the moment, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that was, that was probably my main point as well is, you know, um, was just that conversation around physios and S&Cs and just always remembering that, you know, your physio's role normally is to be a bit conservative and then the S&C's job is to try and push it a bit and the yeah. performance coach. So in life, it's a natural struggle. It's good. You know, so many people don't like, um, you know, don't, don't do well with conflict and whatever else, but I think that's a really healthy relationship that, you know, as an S&C or a performance coach, and I see them coming through, have gone, you know, find a physio that you, you like he's got a bit about him, like he wants to get players back a bit quicker, want to try and push the boundary. But the S&C, I'm like, I want to get him back here, but he's still the one that's prepared to fight and drag him. He can't come back yet. And then maybe yeah. there's an orthopedic surgeon in well that you, you can trust that says, well, listen, whatever you do, you do your thing, that's fine, but he can't be back uh, until eight weeks or nine weeks because that's just the natural healing protocols that needs to go on. And you can throw an eccentric loading, isometrics, whatever else, but that nature just has to run its course. Yeah, so having that strong team, which, which in you know, sport, sporting clubs, elite clubs, it's there, but in the private sector, it sounds like that's something that you've created at your clinic where there is, yeah. there is the different professionals. And look, we're, we're really lucky. We're, you know, we're lucky that I'm, I'm wrapped that a kid that I looked after when he was 14 and then he's playing football in Europe and then he can ring me at 26 years of age and go, my groin's no good. And over there, there's no AFL set up. It's like, oh, you're injured. Fuck off. Mm. <laughs> you know, by someone else. And so he needs to look after himself. So then he can call me and go, I need to come back to Australia. What can I do um, so I can try and get some scans over there, set up a surgeon in Australia. They can come in. Um, we can get them assessed, uh, get them operated on. They can spend 12 weeks in the clinic, you know, you know rent a, an apartment locally live live really well, which is one thing that John Aloisi always taught me. is like if he got injured over in Europe when he's playing in La Liga in Spain, he always said the one thing you've got to do, he said the moment you're injured, he said get out of the system of the club. And, he, and I remember one of John's wisest words, he said there was this Dutch guy. He, he, he wasn't a rap for. He was, a, he was really good at what he did, but he was a pain in the ass. Yeah. But he said I would buy, I'd bring him to Spain for four weeks to treat me every day, to train me, to do all the conditioning stuff. So that by the time I went back to the club and said, where are you at? I was available for selection that week because he wouldn't rely on the club because the club's like, well, if you're, not, if you're injured. But he took it upon himself to, I'll be the best version of myself and turn up every week. So even when I'm injured, like you can give me the physio and just do whatever because in those days you've got to remember in... in Probably even in Premier League football up until 2006, 7 and 8, like 
your basic physio in the Premier League was probably using ultrasound and interferential, and that was all they did. There was no screening, nothing else. And I think you've had, you've had Brookie on the show, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, just oh, like they've, last got week. Great, they've got some great around, you know, all that sort of stuff. And Brookie's got that great story where he, he followed a particular player to Brazil. But it was just like that was the mentality around, you know, what you had to do to be available every week for selection because, and that's one of my parting comments is, and Juddy was a good one for it too, was like my job is to present and in my career if I've committed to the football path is do everything I can, many games as I possibly can and leave no stone unturned to make myself available to play as many games as I possibly can. And that's the commitment of every one of those champions, that whether it's been an Akamanis, a Cooney, you know, um, you know, a Juddy, an Aloisi, a Darcy, a Harry Kuehl, a Grella, a Bresciano, like I said, a million of them. And there's a very specific mentality around those players about my job is this is my career and I'll yeah. do whatever I do and I don't care less about what I need to do or if I piss someone off or whatever else to be prepared to commit to the process of being the best version of myself and presenting to play football every week. And, you know, I, I say that to a lot of young kids now, it's, it's, it's not quite the same. Mm. Occasionally get one or two, but there's a lot of stuff about the hunger index and all the other stuff that has shifted. Um, there's still some beauties coming through, but it, it's, it's quite different, certainly in international sport. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you think that's a little bit just with our environments different now, the way that we're growing up, that drive sure. is a little bit different? Yeah. And, and, I, and I use the soccer analogy a fair bit where it's like if you've, I remember he's a ripping kid. He started the, uh, the inner game journals. Uh, he's doing a lot right. of stuff in sort of trying to help Stefan Moore. So, you know, Steph's been a, 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 yeah, a Steph, ripping uh, out. He, he commented on your post. So no, Steph, Steph's a, he's the captain of Adelaide United, but he tells a great story of when he, I remember he, he won the A-League title with Adelaide back in, oh, it must have been 2016 maybe, um, was one of the better players on the ground that day and Vinnie Grella got him a move to the Dutch League. Um, and I still remember a, a, a classic example of conditioning um, around the fact that he said, okay, we're going to shoot. The coach said, we're going to shoot in minutes. So, you're also dealing with language barriers and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so Steph went to line up with a soccer ball like a junior footballer to say, well, okay, I'm going to line up and I'm going to shoot for goal. And all of a sudden there's four African kids that are playing for the contract whereby they're feeding the whole village. So they don't care about the line. So they just kept pushing in and shooting over and over again because they've gone, we've got 15 minutes of shooting in front of the coach. I'm going to have 47 shots not three, and I don't care about it. And the Aussie kids, they're going, I just want to line up and I'll be third in line because that's what we're conditioned. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine and that's cool, but it's just also that's the hunger index, yeah. you know, around then when we look at international sport and go, and it's, it's not meaning like Steph, I'm sure Steph's going to get another move overseas before, you know, this happens, uh, before his career ends, and I'm sure he'll go overseas and he'll do super well, but he'll... He's probably going to go over as a 26-year-old, very different to what he did as a 20-year-old, you know, just around that experience. And I've done that on, you know, millions of occasions where we've sent players to Europe in, in football or Sid's, Sid's has been great with a lot of them because he loves his 
Courtney loves, you know, loves all that stuff. So he'll he'll often chat. I've got them all involved with, you know, a lot of the soccer boys, and he'll he'll always text them and see how they're going when they're overseas, and because it's it's such a, a gypsy nomadic life. And there's a certain mentality again that can handle that, and then there's there's another mentality that can't. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's it's one of those things where you think about like the, as a coach. Uh, or an environment or a cohort of a team of professionals? Do you, if you're working with youth athletes, do you try and um, build resilience through, you know, adding in some, some uh, more hardship in the drills and that sort of thing? Or is it just a matter of this is the way it is? That's, uh, that, you know, two different beasts. So, you know, let's embrace the strengths that one environment brings and, and focus on those. You know what I mean? Like what's the approach? Do we try and change it or is well, it just not, not changeable? I, I, and- I completely get what you're saying, and I still believe 100% is there's a couple of boxes, you know, growing up with martial arts and all that sort of stuff. So there's a couple of boxes that I love. And so if whether you're into being punched in the face or not and all that sort of stuff, but there are a couple of guys that I use as athlete role models. And one is a guy called Canelo Alvarez, who's probably pound for pound the best boxer in the world. Um, and there's another guy called Vasil Lomachenko, and so Ukrainian athlete. And so for you, if there's anyone online that doesn't know about these guys, don't, whether you're into boxing or not, just Google them and then Google their training and Google some of the things they go through. And this is, this is what I preach to all my junior athletes coming through, which is why, you know, on the relationships that I have across sport is every every athlete at some point is going to get tested and so our role getting people fit should be pretty easy because if you buy into a program and you get your loadings right and all that sort of stuff it's actually not that hard to get someone fit you know what i mean if there's buying like if you got if you're a personal trainer out there and you know someone doesn't really want to lose weight but they're turning up three times a week and they weigh 150 kilos and there's no buying you're not going to get anywhere no but if you've got an athlete and you've, you know, I say this to conditioning coaches, if you've got the blessing of having a young kid at 12, 13, 14 who says, I want to train with you, don't worry about your results. You know, and again, as I said to you earlier, when you've had the, the blessing of, you know, retiring people, developing people and done that over multiple generations, you don't panic in any situation. And even as a businessman these days, I've, you know, been through different things over business trauma over the last couple of years and gyms and lockdowns, which we talked about. But, you know, you don't panic. And so the thing that your junior athletes that you must do is you've got to make them technically sound because all elite sport is is a game of being technically sound. So if you're a shit kick, at some point you'll get picked off. If you're no good at tackling or don't know how to position your body or you've got no rib connection to your pelvis and no activation of your glutes and continually overloading your external rotators, adductor strains, you know, adductor tenotomies, you know, hamstring strains or whatever. All it is is a game that ultimately you're going to get picked off. So imagine what it's like in Russia or Mexico or whatever, and they get an athlete and they go, you're from the Bronx or you're from a shithole and you get to have a chance. And so. These guys train with elite coaches 
and elite movement patterns from a young age. And yet somehow in Australia, we get caught up with going, my kid's 15. He's a man child. And I can say this because I grew up in the soccer world and, you know, I'm an honorary wog in the old days. So anyone that hears that knows me and will get it. But, you know, when you're the Lebanese kid or the, kid or the Greek kid and you're captain of Victoria football at under 15s, but that's as big as you get, all you've learned is to bully people. You haven't developed your game as a footballer. So at some point, the coach for him needs to grab him and say, listen, son, you're doing this, this and this, and that's fine, but your development's stagnating. I want you to learn the game of football so that when you're playing in the forward pocket in six years' time because Sam Darcy's six foot nine or someone else is a monster compared to you and you got to beat him and win the, you know, the junior medal in under-13s, 14s or whatever, it doesn't help. Be technically sound. So if you've got an athlete in your locker, he learns in the gym to lift well. And so if the first year of his gym program when you've got a 12-year-old banging down the door, and Babber and I talked about this for years, was like, well, if you've got a 12-year-old banging down the door, that's fine. Get a broomstick, teach him how to lift. Yeah. So when he's 15 and he's loading properly, his technique, all he knows is elite technical stuff. Yeah. When that kid's running, he's an elite runner with his technique because yeah. if you teach that stuff, bang, 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 in the gym, in the, and I say that to the conditioning coaches out there, if you create a generation of buying around that stuff, even on a business level, you don't have to worry ever again because they'll come back to you going, that bloke, it was a bit boring at the start, but it wasn't until I was 16 that I really got what he was trying to do for me and now I'm back with him for the rest of my career, etc., etc., etc. And it's not about, it's not about the likes, the whatever else. It's about the technical efficiency, whether you're hitting a tennis ball, whether you're, you know, on the 10,000-hour rule and all that sort of stuff. But the same applies to running. The same applies to gym. The same applies to recovery. The same applies to pre-activation stuff. And all of a sudden, if all that stuff is happening with the athlete, all you can do, um, and I remember, uh, I said it to me the other day, was, um, yeah, um, Vinnie Grella. He said, well, all you can do is teach them to prepare. Yeah. So if you prepare, it's up to them from there. Yeah. You've done everything for them. So we can rest easy. Yeah. And that's our role. And then from there, uh, well, you know, go and enjoy yourself. And, you know, you're either, you've got all the, all the tools in your locker and hopefully we've made them better people. And as I talked about earlier, some of that individual stuff that they brought to the table, whether it's, you know, a shit upbringing, you know, a hunger index or whatever else, you've also been able to nurse that a bit too mm. and listen to that. And then it's up to them, you know, and then they'll still make mistakes and that's cool too because that's part of the learning and, the, you know, the bigger picture with everything as well. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, fantastic. Love it, mate. I think we've covered everything there is in terms of physical preparation from the, uh, yeah, the technical side to the, the human side and then also just, you know, really honing in on what's important and focusing Yeah, on absolutely. That. I really appreciate your time and, as I said, I love what you're doing and I think what you're, what you're, you're still teaching with having your business name around Prepare Like a Pro. Yeah, like, I think that's I, quite fitting. <laughs> I love because that's what you want people to do. And, and, again, you're giving them – that's all you can do for people is give them the best start in life, the best start in what they're trying to do. And, 
you know, if they, it, it, some will make it, some won't. And that's okay, as we talked about before, what's the fallback? What's the worst thing that can happen? Sport saved my life. Or, yeah. sport, you know, sport was, I love sport and I still go for a run today. Or I play um, AFL nines as a 50-year-old or whatever else because I'm trying to, you know, rehatch my youth or whatever else. But Or others move into, you know, whether it's coaching, football development, technical directors. But again, they're engaged in sport. They have a role in sport. And, you know, so some will make it. They'll prepare like a pro, but the lessons for life are the key. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm looking forward to this lockdown being done, mate, and and catching up in person. And I know we didn't go into it, but uh, all the work you're doing for the industry to open up gyms and what you did last year and what you continue to do now is inspirational, mate. So on behalf of all the gym fitness industry thank you as well for everything you're doing perfect thanks jack look forward to catching up for coffee in the next couple of weeks and uh thanks listeners for uh taking the time guys really appreciate it awesome thanks tim thanks for Cheers, guys. In, guys and uh make sure if you didn't catch the whole start of the episode guys it is on our igtv so you can tune in and watch the episode there from the very beginning, which I definitely recommend. This was one of our best episodes. So tune in from the start and watch the whole. We've been going for well over an hour now. So there's heaps of jam-packed gems to write down, get the journal out. Um, we provided heaps of value there for developing footballers, but also staff. And for those that uh, are interested, if you want a lockdown program, all you need to do is subscribe to our newsletter and you'll get a free lockdown program for those uh, for a bit of direction during this tough time. Cheers, guys. Till next time. See you, mate. Take care, guys. All the best. Thank you so much for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to make a guest appearance on a future episode, follow these three simple steps. Number one, follow our podcast. Number two, leave a review about your favorite episode on iTunes or Google. Number three, share a screenshot of your review on Instagram and tag Prepare Like a Pro. To recommend a guest for a future episode or to discuss advertising your brand on the Prepare Like a Pro platform, email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.